This episode of Investors and Operators, I am sitting down with John Finger and Jeff Brooker of McGuire Woods. We're going to be talking a lot about emerging managers, a lot about independent sponsors, everything from running the businesses to fundraising and everywhere in between. Guys, it is awesome to have you here. The conference that you put on in May with over 700 LPs and GPs was truly one of the best conferences. I've been doing this for 15 years, and it was one of the most focused conferences. And we heard that when we were doing the interviews of GPs and LPs. Uh, but I'd love to kind of get a little background on kind of the emerging manager and independent sponsor practices that you guys have, just for a little bit of context. Sure. Well, I'll I'll probably tackle a little bit more on the emerging manager side. I'll let Jeff chime in on the independent sponsor side. But you know, over the years, we've built a really strong practice and niche within the independent sponsor community, and that was always a big driver for our private equity practice and uh, network. Um, but over the years, we saw so many of our independent sponsors, as well as spinouts from private equity, deciding it was time to to raise their own fund for all the great reasons. We set out to create the McGuire Woods Emerging Manager Program, which was based off a lot of the same principles that we use within our independent sponsor initiative. And a core part of that was just how do we become the true value add partner to our emerging manager community? And so that began with hosting regional events, thought leadership, introductions of GPs to LPs, ultimately culminating in our Emerging Manager Conference, which you alluded to. One of the things that we think is so special about our events is they're only open to deal professionals. So for this conference, it was just emerging managers, just limited partners with a whole lot of speed dating panels and just organic networking. And so we were super excited with the response from the community uh, as you know, Jordan, this was our first time and we ended up having to start a wait list. And so we feel really good about where it went. And it's a testament to the emerging manager community. Yeah, the independent sponsor practice is really built using a lot of the same ideas and infrastructure as the emerging manager practice. You know, similarly, we've got a, a conference this year. We're expecting about 1,500 attendees. Again, you know, just capital providers and independent sponsors. The focus really... In addition to our panels, which are somewhat secondary, you know, the, the focus is on the independent sponsors and the capital providers meeting each other and, and networking and trying to find ways to do deals together. We've got you know regional independent sponsor meeting groups that meet about once a quarter, usually over a breakfast or a lunch or a, or a happy hour. We have those in each of the major markets throughout the United States. We've got a podcast. We've got white papers and thought leadership that we do. So we're really you know, we bring a lot of uh, resources to bear in the space. We have forms, and, and really, the most the most powerful thing I think we do is the the matchmaking between independent sponsors and capital providers. When you know capital is looking to put money to work in that space, we will help them find independent sponsors that match up with their investment criteria. And then, conversely, when sponsors are looking to raise funds or or, or meet potential investors for their deals, we will find folks in our network. And we've got you know robust set of contacts on each side, you know, well into the hundreds, you know, several hundred on each side. And that you know, that that matchmaking really drives that practice 
beyond what I think you know typically would be expected of a law firm to be their capabilities being able to do. And then obviously, you know, we we see a, a ton of reps in, in that space, and so we know the deal structures and all the different you know hot button issues and permutations. And you know, it's been, it's an exciting practice. It's really you know one I'm happy to be a part of. To John's credit, I mean, I think he was the he was the guy who saw the opportunity several years ago and really has yeah. led that. So, I mean, it's a feather in his cap that he, he saw it and is, was yeah. really led by Bart Woods to be the, the preeminent uh, player in that space. On the legal side. I, I kind of feel like I asked Oprah Winfrey to introduce herself uh, in, in independent sponsors here. <laughs> Everybody <awesome>. knows me. <laughs> or, or Tom Cruise introduced himself. Either way, we're good. We'll roll. I'll take it. <laughs> Which one, Tom Cruise or Oprah? Which one are you going with, John? <laughs> <laughs> Anything's better than what you're looking at, brother. <laughs> um, well, let's. I thought the uh, the the takeaways that you had in your emerging manager conference article were really interesting. I think a good place kind of start this off might be this decision between being an independent sponsor or raising a fund, because if someone decides to raise a fund. That's a whole bunch of time that's taken away from doing deals. That's taken away from raising the capital from th those deals. That's taken away from finding quality people to join them at like the associate level. Like, trust me, I've done five deals at an independent sponsor. Please join us. So, you know, where do you take this? How do they decide between being an independent sponsor or being a fund manager in a really tough fundraising environment? Yeah. I mean, I think the key, right, Jordan, is there, there's there's no one answer. It really does vary. I, one of the interesting takeaways from the conference was this idea that, yes, you do need to decide where you think you're headed, but it's not set in stone. I mean, a lot of our relationships, even established independent sponsors to decide they want to raise a fund, and candidly, vice versa, groups that historically had a fund, um, it's important to be nimble in this environment, right? It is, it's not a great fundraising environment. It is a much better fundraising environment in the emerging manager community. I mean, that is, that's been, even the journal has been talking about that. And that's something that undoubtedly is true. We're not talking about KKR's latest fund. We're talking about, you know, the sub billion dollar fund often sub $500 million. And that's where there's a lot of money to be made. And the endowments, institutional investors, family offices, people have recognized that and they, they continue to flow money into that segment. But what I think is important is in many cases, we're seeing funds that have decided, okay, in light of this, we have too many deals right now that we wanna get done. We don't wanna be sitting on the sidelines for nine, 12 months going through this process, we're actually going to get a few deals done as an independent sponsor and then go back to becoming a fund manager. Um, so I think it's, you know, in the in the article, we talked about transitory, right? And of course, that harkens back to the inflation conversation. But it really is something where a lot of our relationships are moving back and forth between. And so I think it's important. And what a lot of the people were talking about is don't get dead set, right? Follow the opportunity. And it works both ways. In many cases, some of our groups are feeling like I'm going to do some deals and they get pushed by, you know, those kind of institutional investors or family office relationships to raise a dedicated pool of capital. So it really situationally dependent. 
But I think one of the two biggest takeaways for me were just how robust of an opportunity the LP community views the emerging manager segment. And then secondarily also is just that ability to be flexible and nimble as a manager of funds and whether that's raising a pool of capital, whether it's doing as an independent sponsor, um, we're seeing a lot of fluidity around that. And I think that's going to continue for the at least the medium term where there's probably going to be some pressure in the fundraising environment. What do you think from the LP community, how well do you think that the different segments understand the emerging manager segment? and the independent sponsor segment. You know, who are kind of the leaders in it and who are kind of the ones who are catching up with it? Yeah, I mean, I think I'll speak to the emerging manager side and then Jeff, why don't you come in on the independent sponsor side though? It's so close to my heart, I might have trouble leaving that one, (laughs) but I'll give it a shot. You know, I think on the emerging manager side, right? There's clearly the multifamily offices. I think about the second tier of endowments, if you will. And I don't mean that in any pejorative way, but you know, it is not, in many cases, those truly top five endowments. And a lot of the time, right, they're outsourcing many of their investment activities with emerging managers to consultants. And so what I thought was really interesting were some of the smaller, but still very large, sophisticated endowments that came to our conference and and were really serious about backing emerging managers and a little bit less of the denominator effect with them. And so those endowments really finding the emerging manager as something that they wanted to focus on. And, And some of those groups you can see on our website, I won't put names out there, but I think that's something that is a part of the investing community that has really found an opportunity with emerging managers that they are focused on. I think the family offices are is another area where there is a lot of capital, as we all know, within family offices. And, and I think understanding how maybe a 10th fund at $5 billion isn't where they want to be putting their money and they want to be putting money behind the first time $250 million fund, whether that's growth or private credit, or in many cases, buyout. Those are certainly some of the big players. The fund of funds are another big component of our ecosystem and the network there. Insurance companies, again, who a good segue you know, a lot of those groups straddle the line between backing emerging managers and independent sponsors. So Jeff, maybe a good good opportunity for you to pick up on the independent sponsor side. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty diversified set of capital providers within the independent sponsor community. You know, there's definitely some investors that know the space well, they focus on the space, they know what the terms should be, they're very good partners. There's, you know, some other set of folks that I think you know, they want to participate and their expectations may not perfectly align and there may not be quite as experienced. But I think the, the number of participants and knowledgeable participants is increasing all the time. You know, we had, I think, 1,200 around participants at our last independent sponsor conference. And it was about, it was about 60% capital providers, I believe. You know, that's a, still 
only a small segment, I think, of the capital providers that want to invest in that space. You know, there's family offices, there's there are, there are some fund of funds. Let's dive into the fund of funds. I know a lot of emerging managers are kind of wonder like, is this worth it? You know, if I if I lose one arm, but I'm still in the race, is it worth it to run the race? You know, let's kind of walk us through maybe some of the considerations you've seen and maybe if there are certain you know people you've worked with where they got to fund two and fund three like you know what it actually was worth it i don't know if people have enough of a you know an insight into that decision making process and the reality of working with fund of funds and if it's worth taking that you know just to to get started so just kind of wondering kind of what conversations you know, you've yeah, I mean, I guess a, a few things, right? I think we talk a lot about constructing your LP base with our emerging managers. And so, you know, I, I know you weren't implying this, but look, I think fund of funds are great partners and, and have been to our independent sponsors as well as our emerging managers. But I do think to the to the point, it is critical. And this is this is part of what we talked about of, of that journey from independent sponsor to emerging manager. It can start as early as your next deal, right? So thinking about, okay, who are the capital partners that really might support me on uh, a true fundraise down the road? Or thinking about the LPs coming into fund one, did I have a high degree of confidence are going to be there two and three? Or those LPs that really do make an effort. I mean, this is candidly something we saw at our conference of that network of LPs that back emerging managers is very tight. And it's, I don't see it as competitive. I see it as the best of the best, fund of funds or otherwise, sharing great ideas of emerging managers. Both emerging managers, they're backing and bringing others into. But then also, one of the takeaways we talked about, and I can't remember the panelists, but it was really um, t- highlighting the fact that. Just because an LP tells you no, it doesn't mean that they might not be a great advocate for you. There are lots of reasons why they may not be able to write the check today, but they have an incredible network that can introduce you to another LP that will. And so I think just having in your mind a keen focus on how you construct your LP base is is critical. But you know, kind of thinking about, is it worth it? You know, there's certainly strategies where I do think it lends itself much more cleanly to having a committed fund versus being an independent sponsor. You know, a lot of times when you're you have expertise in distressed investing, that can be challenging as an independent sponsor. We've certainly done it, but where speed is your friend, that can be challenging as a true independent sponsor where you're having to pull up capital at the same time. But you know, I think it's just looking into your heart and figuring whether you really have it in you for the next year to go down this path of fundraising because the reward's clearly there. I mean, there's obviously plenty of our clients and network that have gone from funds two to three and, and beyond. It's just a question of whether you're you're willing to go down that path. You, you know, you as someone, right, with with all your uh marathons and triathlons, you you know, you know the investment it takes. But Jeff, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean it's a year to raise, right? But or more. But then it's you have to be ready to see that fund through its completion, um, and then think about raising the next one. So I've definitely seen folks that have, have kicked the tires on raising a fund and then decided to go the independent sponsor route or stay the independent sponsor route instead. And we've seen folks that 
have raised a fund and then have decided for whatever reason that they're going to go back to an independent sponsor model on either a, a permanent or a temporary basis. And so, you know, it's, it's about, you know, what stage are you, are you in your career? How, what's your strategy? You know, what are you looking to shoot to in the near and the short term? You know, is, are you running into some economic headwinds? You know, there's a lot of different reasons you might go one way or the other. I think, you know, important to note is good deals get funded under, you know, under the independent sponsor model. And, you know, obviously you don't need to go out for funding per se on a, on a committed fund, but you know, if you have a good deal, it will get done, I guess is my point there, regardless of whether you're using the one strategy or the other. Let's dive into that on the good deals can get funded, but should you do good deals if that's not part of your long-term strategy? Because I've noticed with a lot of our, you know, independent sponsor and emerging manager clients, like, oh yeah, I don't talk about that deal. It did really well, but I don't want to talk about that. It was either too small or whatever. And they're trying to almost like excuse it as opposed to like, no, I was an independent sponsor. You do the deals that come in and you get paid. You got to keep the lights on. How have you found managers kind of nav- uh, navigate that challenge of doing deals that could be good, but might be off strategy? Jeff, why don't you take that? But but clearly, right, the independent sponsor has a lot more flexibility and obviously control around, is this on strategy, right? Is it of size? Is it of industry? But Jeff, feel, feel free to chime in. Right. I mean, with the fund, you have your handcuffs on and you may, you know, you've got to maintain any discipline within your strategy. Within a fund structure, you've got to maintain discipline and stay within your, your stated strategy. Um, your fund docs are going to have something to say about that as well. You know, as an independent sponsor, you can find the deals you like and you can find the LPs that are going to like those deals. And if it's a, if it's an attractive deal that's going to return or has promising returns to the, to the LPs, that'll get funded. If you're an independent sponsor who's looking to raise a fund and that investment is not within the strategy of the fund, it may not count for much, let's say, when you're trying to sell LPs on your strategy for that fund, but it's still going to make you money if it's a good deal. So I don't think it's a bad thing to go off strategy if it's going to make if it's going to make you money. It just it may not advance your long term goal of raising a fund using a specific strategy if that's what you're looking to do. You know, and there may be some opportunity cost to that, obviously as well, like in terms of your time and your bandwidth. But if I were an independent sponsor and I saw a deal that was likely to make me a lot of money, I wouldn't hesitate, even if it was a little off the the strategy that I was really looking to do. Kind of going back to on what you're saying on just because an LP says no, that mean, doesn't mean you should just write off. Do, do you feel that there's kind of like, oh, they said no. Okay, next. There's that kind of mentality, but it's do people appreciate that dynamic of the relationship and know how to ask like, well, is there another endowment that you might think that we could be a fit, fit for? I do think that because it is such a slog, it's very easy for emerging managers. You have to have a thick skin, of course, but but I do think there's also built into that, okay, it was just another one that said no, but right, are you taking from that conversation? What did you learn about them for your next fund? What did you learn about that interaction for maybe why you're not the right fit? And maybe it's something that's 100% um, institutional on that LP, 
but can they teach you something about your pitch, your strategy? What can you take from that no that helps you on the next one? But I do think by and large, if you really take the opportunity to connect with the right LPs, and there to me, there are right LPs as an emerging manager for you to think about as your core. It's not to say that you're not going to start going broader, of course, as you build out the fund. But I think if you spend a lot of time focusing your effort on those LPs that are really strong proponents and a big part of the emerging manager ecosystem. And in my mind, you know, there's probably 75 to 100 that I kind of view in that way. And if you focus your attention there and really, I think, be part of a thoughtful conversation, those LPs can be very helpful to you in the way of introductions and otherwise. So, yeah, I do think it's important, right, Jordan? It's very easy to say, okay, I'm just going to have a thick skin. I got to know, move on to the next one and not take the time to really learn from it and, and leverage it. Yeah, so John, I've heard some uh, uh, GPs who are kind of afraid that if they're turned down once by an LP, that it kind of creates a hurdle for them to get over. If they were to, if the time isn't right today, but maybe it's going to be right later, they're worried that getting turned down now is going to prevent them from getting over that hurdle later. Do you think that's valid or do you think that's... I think it's valid with some people and it's very invalid with others. I had conversation, multiple conversations leading up to our conference where an LP had asked for our recommendations of, you know, who are the top tier GPs that I should meet with? And and Jordan, right, just by way of background. So that first day of our conference was all speed networking. So everyone had access to selecting who they wanted to meet with. And you can imagine that was a pretty, you know, it was kind of back to the schoolyard and who's going to get picked first, right, for basketball or whatever. And so, you know, the conversation with the LPs was like, okay, who should we prioritize? And, And quite candidly, there were multiple occasions where I'd say, well, I would definitely focus my attention on this group. And there were there were multiple occasions where the response was, oh, yeah, that was one of the worst things I've done was turn them down on fund one, because that was something that I look back on as a regret. And so I don't view it that way. I mean, look, if, you know, blue chip top notch endowment tells, you no, there's probably a good chance they're going to tell, you no on fund two. But there are a lot of groups where I wouldn't think twice about that. And the returns speak for themselves. And so these LPs didn't say yes to fund one in some cases or kicking themselves. And it doesn't always happen that way, but I, I wouldn't take much from that. You talk about some of the mistakes that emerging managers might be making, you know, early on the fundraise that, you know, others can avoid. Yeah, gosh, there's, there's probably a good. Yeah, I don't know if we have enough space. Good bit of fire there. Um, you know, I guess one of the things that really comes to my mind, and it's it's more about maybe the longer term. So I'll come back to the shorter term. But I do think it is important as an emerging manager to understand that you can be a great investor, you can do great deals, but that's not going to make you in and of itself a successful long term fund manager. And I bring it up in the sense of, can you build and manage a team? How do you go through that process? Which is, 
it's a lot different than just being an investor, right? And being able to do good deals, which a lot of our independent sponsors can do. I think back to the point about where do you focus your time with LPs and who are the right LPs to be spending your time with? I think that is critically important in the short term where we've seen too many of our emerging managers make that mistake about not focusing on the right LPs and being thoughtful around that. And then the last thing I'll say is um, I do think in today's environment, utilizing a placement agent is is really important. It's not to say that you can't get a fundraise without one because you absolutely can. And we're involved with a lot of those. At the same time, leveraging the placement agent community is hugely powerful. So even if you're not going to engage one, getting to know them, letting them give their thoughts on your pitch and taking to heart what they tell you about your strategy, what LPs to talk to. You know, there are a lot of placement agents out there, but there are also a really core group of placement agents that candidly we spend a lot of our time with. And it's because they approach relationships the same way we do. And it's all about being a value-add partner. So I think leveraging the placement agent community is super helpful as well. Maybe some of the mistakes that they're making when trying to raise a, you know, raise capital for a deal or in general, just managing the business of being an independent sponsor. There's, I think there's two fundamental challenges there is finding good deals. It's kind of the race against time that they then have when they have, when they find a deal and they get it under LOI or close and they need to get it funded. And I think not being prepared in that second piece to tell their story to an LP in a very understandable way with a you know with materials that are really pulled together and that make it quick to for the LP to make that decision. And then maybe also trying to build out you know that that race against time as I as I talked about the the LP is going to be doing two layers of underwriting and it's you know one they're going to be underwriting the independent sponsor. And then two, they're going to be underwriting the deal. And so building out their set of relationships in advance so that that underwriting of the independent sponsor can be underway or or even maybe done by the time that they find their deal. So that way, there's, there's not so much for the LP to overcome to get to a yes in what is going to be a short period of time because... You know, sellers just don't like to give more exclusivity than they have to. We're always racing against that exclusivity clock and trying to you know, show that we can be far enough that give the, the seller confidence that we're going to get done, if not under exclusivity, but reasonably within a window after that, that the deal is pretty certain and we're going to get this done. Um, you know, having that in place that they can they can hit that 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 window, I think it's super important. And that's where I see a lot of deals fall down. Or someone will get a deal and it may be a good deal and it may not. There's just no strategy and groundwork that's been laid ahead of time to to be able to get the funding within the 30 to 45 days that they're ultimately going to need to do to make make that deal happen. Let's let's shift to like the the future of independent sponsors. So I mean, how many years do you think you've like truly been working with independent sponsors? Like, 
and how many data points of like, all right, I've done legitimate work or I truly know them. Let's see some facts and figures out there. And then let's talk about you know, like the, the future of the independent sponsor community and maybe some you know surprising things that people might not be expecting about the independent sponsor community going forward. Well, we as a practice have been focused on the community for about 10 years. And then we started our conference and, and that grew. And then I'll let Jeff chime in with some other data points. I mean, that grew from you know, a nice kind of gathering of friends and family, if you will, <laughs> right? To, to over 1,200 with a whole whole hearty wait list, right? That, you know, this year I, I fully expect will probably be around 1,500. To me, it is an ever-evolving community that continues to step up its game in the way of becoming a truly institutional-grade own asset class within private equity of backing independent sponsors. But Jeff, Jeff, what are your thoughts? No doubt the quality of the independent sponsor has has increased as well as the quantity. You know, people ask us all the time, how big is the community? How many deals are getting done? I mean, we just went through this like two weeks ago, the two of us trying to wrap our arms around. There's really no reliable data that tells us how big it is. You know, we we think it's a few thousand in the United States independent sponsors who are doing deals. And we think on average, they're doing, you know, it, if you average it out over the course of the, the, the whole community, mm-hmm. we're doing maybe, you know, one or maybe half a deal a year. So that, you know, if you had, let's say two, 3000 independent sponsors, you're probably looking at a thousand to 1500 independent sponsor deals in a year. There's a high degree of variance within that among independent sponsors, how many deals are doing. I have one independent sponsor that probably does two or three platforms a year plus a bunch of add-ons. You know, there are other independent sponsors that are doing similarly, you know, two deals a year, two new platforms, let's say. Um, Then there's some that only do one deal every other year or every third year. And there's a lot of guys out there who are chasing deals and it's just not going to work out for them or they just don't close very many. The trend line for sure is that it's getting bigger and more sophisticated. And the types of deals they're doing are, I think, bigger and more sophisticated as well. I think on the go forward, Jordan, you know, one of the observations in the recent past is, for lack of a better blurring the line between independent sponsor and fund manager in the sense that where we see a lot of activity and continued really explosive growth is the hybrid model. Um, so there's so much competition on the capital partner side to get in to these really preeminent independent sponsor deals. And so where you set up structures whereby capital partners, you know, there's always, of course, a trade and that varies by the participants. But I think linking up a bit of a marriage between independent sponsor and capital partner to get deals done is what I kind of call the hybrid model. But then on the other side, you you see it. And this was something that was talked about again at our conference was this idea of super carry and and for GPs to really focus on the important things in the negotiation. And and some of the LPs were, were candidly pushing GPs to implement super carry. And I know that it sounds somewhat counterintuitive and it certainly is, but I think it's a recognition that why everyone is within this community and why the independent sponsor community um, took off was around alignment, right? And so the LPs are saying, look, if I get four times, five times, whatever it is, we don't need to be wed to a 20% carry. 
And that's where I think that that super carry is just another example of a bit of the blurring of the lines where, you know, you're starting to see more of taking different things from different models because two and 20 doesn't have to be the rule full stop. And so I think that's something you're we've seen and and are seeing. And I do think that's going to be a, a big part of the evolution in the future as well. Sorry, dumb question. What is super carry? Sorry, super carry would just be instead of, you know, return of capital, preferred return, and then an 80-20 split, super carry being a 25% carry to the GP on the split. And so they just call it quote super carry. But that's, you know, that is pulling from the independent sponsor community where it is hurdle based and you have that alignment. So that that's what I mean more about the blurring of the lines. Let's shift gears on something completely unrelated to independent sponsors and emerging managers and, and talk about, you know, your lives and your careers and just some of the more formative moments that have really made you who you are through your lives and your careers. And it might be a particular mentor or a particular time in your career, like that you just really yeah. stands out. And just- yeah, well, for me, right. It's, it's Tim Sanders. It's love is the killer app. Um, hopefully some of your listeners know of Tim, but it, it really is that, that mindset shift that certainly professionally I'll set aside the personal because on the professional side, right. It was really just changing the mindset of, we are constantly involved in sales, right? That's how you're successful. But if you change your mindset from, I always have to be selling, 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 Jordan, what deal can you send me next? And focus on building your network with the people that you really trust, admire, value, um, expanding that network, and then adding value to that network. And for us, it's all about bringing together our GPs and our LPs, our capital partners, our independent sponsors. And if you just focus on being that connector within your ecosystem, and as Tim says, a love cat, showing the love, um, for me, it was game-changing because it takes the pressure off. I don't need to worry about selling legal services. I focus on what can I do for my network and the rest takes care of itself. So for me, that was that's the easy answer. Well, it's so hard to do that, and that's actually like when I think about the name of our company, Fifty One Labs. Like Fifty One Forty Nine comes from the idea of like give more than you receive, and take the long term view of relationships, which is so hard when you're just starting a business. You got to pay bills, <laughs> and so you're always focused on that. You know that video, that marketing project, that website, because you got to pay bills. But now we're at year four and year five, and it's like, oh, that's the value of long-term relationships, <laughs> and just and just being a little bit more patient, and just understanding that the real people reason why people truly work together is over trust and a very broader view of relationships as opposed to just this deal. Yeah, no, no one likes the hard sell. On very rare occasions, is the hard sell what's going to bring you success, and so. Yeah, that that's why that's why you and and us, uh, you know, we, we have such a good a good relationship. I, I think that we did our first blog like two years ago or something. That's right, something like that, you know. Yeah. But it's it's finding the people you want to have relationships with, yep. and and that's that's the focus. Jeff, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I would say you know, professionally, it was is probably my to come practice with with 
John and David and Akash and the, you know, the group here in Dallas, um, you know, I kind of a bigger firm, you know, upmarket practice. That's it was less entrepreneurial. It was very much, you know, do everything perfectly, be a perfect technician. There will be really big clients that are firm clients. They're not going to be your clients. They're going to be firm clients. You're not going to take them. You're not going to get them. They're going to pay a lot. It's going to keep our firm making a lot of money. But it's a totally different model where you have a lot less control. You're a cog in a machine. Whereas, you know, John and his team just think differently and do things differently than really anything I've really seen else in law, where it's it's very entrepreneurial, like you mentioned, very relationship-based. It's a different model in that you're you're kind of always looking to kind of do good things out in the market and find ways to build your own network in a way that you just aren't in a in a bigger firm. Learning from them and kind of retooling from being that kind of big firm cog into uh, someone who's who's a builder, you know, a, a hunter rather than a than a farmer, has been a really transformative experience for me as a professional. What advice do you have for new lawyers getting into this particular industry? What advice do you have for new lawyers? I mean, I'm happy You're to- You're closer, start. Jeff. You go first. Uh, yeah, I'm not that close, unfortunately. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's not, we're not splitting the atom here. Like there does- there is a certain requisite amount of intelligence that's needed, but that's not what typically drives a good lawyer versus a bad lawyer. You know, most folks who go to law schools that we look at to hire from have that. It's, it's, that's a given. Ability to work hard, have common sense, try to understand the big picture, try to always learn, really care about what you do and care about getting better. Those are, I think, the qualities that make a good practitioner, but then trying to understand from a just a few years in. I mean, the first couple of years trying to get your your feet under you and and become a a practitioner because that you have to be that. But then really transitioning and trying to understand how we actually get clients, and that you know the phone's not just going to ring. Uh, you need to go out and find your way of making the phone ring. Um, and making folks want to hire you and thinking about that, understanding that and getting involved in that early enough that you're not going to kind of miss that window where you get to partner and you have no base of your, your future practice. And therefore that next step becomes really difficult or impossible for you to make. Yeah. And I think it's translatable. Jordan, you, you've seen it with your success. One of my favorite people within private equity is in the placement agent community. And I've seen it with his success. We had a recent text, but Jeff, you touched on it. It's all, it's all work. You just outwork everyone else. You're going to be successful. You didn't have to go to XYZ law school. You probably didn't learn it in law school. But if, if you focus on attention to detail and then importantly, outworking everyone else, you're going to be successful. And so that, that for me is. I wish I had that appreciation in my early days, but the biggest thing that I've learned over the past 10 years is anyone can be successful if you outwork basically everyone else. And 
that's the one thing you can control, right? Um, is, is what you're putting into it. So that would be my piece of advice. And if they're going through maybe kind of last question is like, you know, you've probably seen some ups and downs in the economy markets and how do, how do people weather that storm, you know, with, you know, they might be a second or third year into it. They're not knowing like, where's this career going? Should I even be in this industry? Should I be focused on this part of the industry? Like, how did you get through that? And have you had any doubts throughout your career when economic times were maybe tough? Yeah. I mean, I think from my perspective, it is trusting in the journey. I didn't start at McGuire Woods. I didn't start with this true emerging manager focus. That evolves over time. And so for some, it can be a more circuitous path than, path than others. But I think recognizing coming out of law school, the lawyer you are the first couple of years in all likelihood is not going to be the lawyer you are 20, 30, 40 years later. Um, and so I think it's appreciation of that and recognition of that that's super important. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I would say my one one other piece of advice I have for, for those folks is don't be think about yourself like your your career is a river. You don't want to be like flotsam in the river where you just go wherever it takes you. You need to like get in the boat and kind of steer to where you want to be. And part of that's going to be hard work, but part of that is strategy and thinking and actively trying to set, set out a goal. And we covered a lot of ground from career advice to independent sponsors and emerging managers. And I uh, really appreciate you taking the time for this. Yeah, we, we appreciate your partnership, Jordan. You're doing a, a great service to the emerging manager independent sponsor community. I, I know that firsthand. So thank you for doing that. Of course, thank, thank you for giving us this opportunity here. Thanks, Jordan. See you later. Thank you.